Welcome to the Constructor Cast, your AGC place for all the news, views, and interviews relevant to your construction business. I'm your host, Leah Pilkonis. Today, we're digging deep into a topic that's not only crucial in the world of construction, but also paramount for the safety of the construction workforce. We're talking about trenching and excavation safety. Every year, trench collapses and excavation accidents lead to injuries and fatalities that could have been prevented. That's why we've brought in not one, but two industry experts who are on a mission to change that. Our guests today have dedicated themselves to raising awareness, advocating for safety measures, and ensuring that every worker who steps into a trench or excavation site returns home safely. But before we dig deeper into trenching and excavation safety and meet our guests, I'd like to introduce my co-host for this episode, AGC's Kevin Cannon. Kevin is the Senior Director of Safety, Health, and Risk Management at Associated General Contractors of America. Thanks for being with us today, Kevin. Thank you, Leah. And uh, again, I want to thank you, Perry and Philip, for joining us as well. Yeah, really looking forward to this episode and Kevin, looking forward to you sharing all that you're doing for AGC on this really vital topic. So yes, let's meet our guests. With us today, we have Philip Faulkner, who's Safety Director, Project Management and Business Services Specialist at Ed Bell Construction Company, and Perry Sylvie, who's the Safety Manager at BT Construction. So I want to give you both a minute to introduce yourselves, share your background in the construction industry, tell us a little bit about what you do for your companies, and we really want to know what motivated you to become advocates for trenching and excavation safety. So Philip, let's start with you, please. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. So Philip Wagner with Ed Bell Construction. We are a heavy highway contractor in Dallas, Texas, focusing on concrete paving, walls, bridges, and underground. I've been in the industry about 28 years, all in North Texas, and I've been with Ed Bell for about 20 years. In the 20 years I've been with my firm, I've done just about a little bit of everything from engineering, project management, estimating. Uh, I ran operations for five years and moved into an analyst role, helped write the safety curriculum we had now about a decade ago, and I've been the current safety director for mm, right at three years now. So kind of still look at safety for our company from uh, an angle not only of safety, but operations and the human side of it, definitely an employee-centered safety program. So as we've kind of grown and shrank over the years, trying to keep that culture alive, and I think we've had great success doing so. Great. Really glad to have you here today, Philip. Perry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Leah. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for the invite. Um, Really excited to be able to share some of what we've got uh, going on here in trench safety. So uh, again, Perry with BT Construction and also B Trenchless is our other division. What we do is open cut, excavation cut and cap or utility installation in the Colorado market. And then we also perform tunnels and boring operations in both Colorado and Utah and uh, other places around the country when needed. So I've been in the industry for 20 years. I started as a laborer and worked my way through the ranks, operating equipment, got into estimating, project management, a little over 10 years ago, got into safety. So been a safety manager for my company here at BT and been great to be able to work with the people here 
also being a part of some of the the local and national groups, both AGC, NUCA, ASSP, uh, working through the trench safety side of things. And then we started the Trenching and Excavation Safety Task Force in 2019. And uh, we'll get into some more of the details on that soon. Yes. Looking forward to hearing more about all those things. So, Kevin, let's jump right in here. All right. Thanks, Lee. And, you know, we just want to start off with, uh, I guess, some basics uh, as it relates to trenching and excavation and construction. So for those who may not be familiar, can you explain what trenching and excavations are in the construction industry and what common types of projects or situations where trenching and excavations are required? Yeah. So typically there's very few construction sites, I think, across the country where excavation doesn't take place in some form or fashion. Excavation itself is anytime you're really changing the scope of the earth or putting a bucket in the ground, for lack of a better term. So while most people traditionally think of excavation with underground utility work, obviously earthwork, structures work, building bridges and walls, there's very few scopes where excavation does not come into play. Trenching, which is a specific type of excavation where you're doing something, you know, for general context that's deeper than it is wide, gets you into a spot where underground utilities are the most common place where that comes into play, putting in appurtenances and structures in the ground. And it provides a unique set of challenges, not only because of the soil types and the engineering that may be associated with it, but just the general hazards associated with uh, getting in Mother Earth's realm and, and really affecting what's been there or what somebody's already touched. So it's it's quite a challenge trying to figure out how to keep people safe in that regard. Perry, you have anything you want to add to that? Any other unique work that you do at your firm that involves trenching and excavation? Yeah. So the, really the tunnels and boring is a side of, of our business and uh, the side of construction that's, that's really important because not only are you excavating something open pit, open excavation, uh, you're also tunneling. You're also creating a hole that's going horizontally underneath things like railroads and highways and places where you really can't get a very good open cut style of excavation. So uh, it's definitely situations that require uh, really understanding what's underground, calling 811 before you dig and understanding what those existing utilities are and really being aware of some of those dangerous items that are beneath the ground. So the tunneling operations, we do several different styles and it depends on what kind of utility we're installing, but we can do hammer bores, auger bores, tunnel boring machines using uh, micro tunnel machines and so those all are great tools to be able to uh, install pipe and utilities underground. Perry with all those different activities can you tell us a little bit about the common risks associated with trenching and excavation safety so what I really want to understand is some of the misconceptions associated with how risky this is when we spoke previously, a lot of what you shared was incredibly eye-opening, and I want to hear a little bit about that. A lot of when it comes to uh, excavating, there, there there tends to be a lot of people that don't understand that there's risk associated with the dirt. They don't realize how heavy it is. There's this false sense of understanding or false sense of security when it comes to that. So one of the things we like to talk about is normalization of deviance. When you, when you continue to do you know, something over and over and it becomes more and more normalized, and so you dig down in the ground, maybe you dig four feet and it, and it seems safe. So why not go ahead and dig five feet 
and maybe they still think it's safe and then continues to get more and more dangerous. But their mindset is that it doesn't seem that dangerous. They just don't install the protective systems, either sloping, shielding, or shoring to make sure that they're not going to get hurt in those types of situations. And that's a that's something else that leads to risk tolerance. They become tolerant to that risk. They don't think it's dangerous. So the example that we like to give is is a, a cubic foot of dirt. So that's one foot by one foot by one foot. Uh, can weigh anywhere from 100 to 140 pounds. Picture that much weight uh, on top of you, it, it, it can be very dangerous. But, but we typically talk about soil weight and soil size in cubic yards. And so that's actually 27 cubic feet. So if, if you were to picture 2,700 uh, to 3,000 pounds roughly of soil uh, that, that surrounds you, then then you're start, starting to talk a lot about engulfment and, and other really dangerous situations that can occur. And it's not typically just one cubic yard that falls. It's, it's multiple cubic yards that then crush a human being. And, and, and that's the real big thing that we're, we're dealing with and want to try to prevent. Yeah. And, and Perry spot on there, you know, as when you do these excavations and trenches and whatever different types of protection systems you may utilize, there is this false sense of security that it applies in a lot of other realms of construction, but trenching specifically of the concept that if something starts going wrong, I'll have time to see it. I'll have time to get out of the way. I'll have time to alert others if I'm the competent person. And it doesn't. I can tell you that out of the few videos or a few things I've seen in person in my life and the videos I've watched, when a trench does go, it's almost instantaneous. About the time you recognize movement and a fissure, it's in, it's done and it's gone. And there is no time to, to really respond or even be aware of what's going on. So that misconception of it's safer than I think, you know, something I've noticed in my career working on structures as well is everybody seems to grasp kind of the inherent danger of being at heights and utilizing fall protection, being exposed to chemicals or fire, being exposed to caught in between by moving objects or all that. But historically, there seems to be an additional false sense of security, as we've said, with being in the ground, especially at short excavations. Most people don't feel fear from that. And whether it's how we dug in holes as a child or how what we've seen in our life just being that an elevation change in the ground is not scary to a lot of folks. And so that creates a spot that not only for supervisors when they plan their work, but in general employees, especially new employees, will just kind of go into the hole without questioning because they don't feel the same inherent fear that they may in other aspects of construction. So I think that creates overconfidence for everybody involved, but it also probably is a little bit to where that close enough mentality we see too often comes into play here. Because fall protection, as an example, you know, it's really easy to go, I have to have this exactly right or something will fail. Same thing with protecting yourself from moving uh, equipment, things like that. But if you get in the hole and you see, well, it's sloped enough back or we do have some form of trench box in here and not really knowing if the trench box is placed correctly, has the right tabulated data, if everything's set up correctly, there's a false sense of, well, I've got something that's better than nothing. And too often, you still have the type of incidents that cause injuries and fatalities, even with, quote unquote, some protection. It's still not right. So I think that this tolerance everybody's developed to trenching and excavation hazards in particular is something that 
we continue to fight in our industry. And I'd like to add to that as well in in thinking about those situations that we grew up with. Maybe you're on the beach, right? You're dealing with a small excavation that you're making on the beach. It's wet soil, it's sand. Nowadays, we look at that and that's dangerous because we know that that will collapse easily. But when we're growing up, you look at those types of excavations that we made as kids as something that, that, that was very safe or we we thought it was safe. And then now when you're starting to dig in, in those excavations that are you know four and five feet deep, and, and if you're having to get down on your hands and knees to put a pipe together and you're in a similar type of soil condition, you might not think it's dangerous because what you grew up with was uh, what you thought was safe. So, you know, not understanding the risk, not really understanding that it is very dangerous, that it could engulf you and, and collapse on top of you. Right. And too often, I think that you do have this increased risk of probably everybody not taking it seriously, the shallower the trench gets. Like you said, you know, you could be down on your hands and knees in the trench. You could be in a spot where maybe you do only get only to waist or chest deep and nobody really understands the impact of when you are talking about, like you mentioned, 2,700 to 3,000 pounds of cubic yard or more and multiple cubic yards. And you really start talking about what could be tens of thousands of pounds of lateral pressure on the human body, you can be conscious, you can be talking, you can be exposed out there. But if you cannot have your torso with the ability to breathe because there's all this weight on it, or you have your circulation system, even in your legs and your midsection crushed where the body circulation doesn't function as intended, there are a number of fatalities that have happened over the years where the person was, you felt like you could get to them, you were talking to them, and the damage to the human body is still caused permanent injury or death. But there's also the part of, you know, what's, what's your retrieval system like? What's your, what's your rescue program in these situations that I think often when you dig a 25 foot trench, it can cause enough concern that you start to put these measures in place. But when you're digging five, six, seven foot trenches, you're just thinking this is not a big deal. And then when even a minor collapse happens, you're not really prepared for the rescue that may take way too long or not be uh, completely set up correctly where you can injure somebody in the retrieval and the rescue. So I think there's a lot of things there that give that false sense of confidence to where everybody doesn't do their due diligence on every trench. I think that was a great discussion and it highlights the high risk nature of trenching and excavation operations. And there's data to support just how risky this can be. According to OSHA, between 2017 and 2022, on average, there were 22 fatalities per year, with the peak in 2022 being 39. And although we've seen a reduction through August of 2023 with 10 fatalities, I would say that's 10 too many, right? And so if either of you, and Perry, I know you have a great example from the market that you work in that highlight the consequences of neglecting safety and trenching and excavation activities. Yeah, we could definitely touch on the the incident that really prompted our task force to get started. And that, that was actually in April of 2019. There was a trench collapse that occurred in North Denver area. And there were two people that were caught in this trench. It was 15 feet deep. They did not use a trench box. And one of those individuals, they were actually able to communicate with him through a pipe in the ground. And by they, it was the firefighters actually for two hours. So during the rescue operation, they were able to communicate to him. And then they actually asked him uh, for his wife's information and they brought his wife out. 
and she was able to communicate with him before he passed away. Uh, so just an unfortunate situation there and a story that we continue to tell because we don't want to see this type of incident ever reoccur. You know, both those individuals had families, they had, they had lives and those lives were important and we don't want to see that type of situation reoccur. So we started this task force, the trenching and excavation safety task force. We started meeting together to try to come up with some solutions, some ideas to help prevent a tragedy from happening again in that same kind of way. So we've been uh, working together for four years now and we're continuing to push forward. It's great to see that there's been a reduction in fatalities, but we're not done yet. And we want to see that number come to zero. There shouldn't be anybody dying in a trench because there's protective measures available, readily available in the industry. Sloping is, is obviously an easy one. You don't you don't need to actually purchase any sort of box or, or shielding, you know, shoring system. But there are shoring and shielding systems readily available that there's plenty of vendors that can provide those and uh, they're worth it, right? It's, it's worth the life that, that we save installing those in the ground. And something to follow up on that, um, Perry, you know, something I've noticed over the course of my career, and I bet you can speak to as well, is that while any fatality in any form of construction is something we're working diligently to avoid, trenching and excavation accidents and incidents specifically, it really comes down to when you're talking about retrieval, rescue, or unfortunately recovery, when those do happen, these are long-term recoveries and rescues and retrievals. You know, too often when there are incidents and other aspects of what we do, they're quick. They're quick. They happen. They're tragic, but everybody's able to recover and move on. These type of trench collapses because of the hope that you can't see the person, right? And confined space entry falls into this as well. Often you can't see the person who's trapped. And so there is this hope that you're going to retrieve somebody safe and sound, but it does allow for this time for family members to be notified. I think I've seen family members on site at these type of events or adjacent to the site more than any other type of incident in this industry. So it puts an added weight, I think, on these type of incidents hit home, they're personal, they're avoidable, but it's definitely, while all of them are a family impact, too often these are ones where the family gets closer than most during the attempted rescue and retrieval. And unfortunately, like I said, a lot of them, you know, become operations just to try and uh, close the case for the family. So I think that that also alludes to some of the false sense of security that I think people have of just taking this seriously. Unfortunately, a lot of times when somebody gets buried, there's there's just no there's no ability to bring them back. It's all really scary. And I'm sure it's difficult to talk about. I appreciate you both being so just honest and clear about the risks and the things that you've experienced, because a lot of what we want to do with this episode is raise awareness. And we don't have time on this episode, obviously, to talk about all the different key regulations and guidelines that are in place. But we do want to raise awareness. We do want to talk about some red flags and warning signs, which we're going to get into and then let people who are listening know where can you go to get more information? How can you get involved? 
Before we turn to that, let's spend a minute because obviously this is something where there are key regulations in place that construction professionals should be aware of when it comes to trenching and excavation safety. And Kevin, you on behalf of AGC are our liaison with OSHA and helping to make sure the construction industry is aware of regulations and requirements and opportunities for education. Can you just briefly talk about OSHA's focus on this? Yeah. You know, I think one of the frustrating parts about all these tragedies that's been discussed is that first, OSHA's trenching and excavation standards been in place for many years, probably 30 years plus. The second part is it's, although, you know, there are some technical aspects to it, it's pretty cut and dry, straightforward, right? If it's a certain depth, put a box in it, you know, slope it short. It, it just follow what's in the rules. So I think that's part of the frustration, not only for our association, but contractors such as Perry and Phillip, because they are easy to follow standard in place. And so given the data that I covered from OSHA last year, they launched an oversight program, so to speak, and it really didn't change their existing NEP. It just refocused their efforts on trying to reverse the trend of the fatalities that we were seeing. So July 2022, they issued the memo saying, hey, you know, we got to respond. We got to change what we're seeing out there in the industry. And one of the goals was to conduct a thousand trenching inspections, which OSHA can stop driving down the highway, they see an open cut. This gives them the authority to stop and conduct an inspection and make sure everything's being done properly. And and one thing I'll add to that is AGC was very supportive of it. Again, standards been in place for 30 plus years. While there is some technical aspects of it, it's pretty cut and dry on how you protect folks while they're working in a trench or excavation. So we've been very supportive of it. I know they've kind of redoubled their efforts. And I mentioned the 10 fatalities through August of 2023. Again, one is too many. And so I think this will be a continued focus of theirs. There's no expiration date identified on the NEP. And I think one of the things that as far as our goals is to use platforms such as this to raise awareness and, you know, provide folks with the resources that they need and the information so that they can perform these operations in the safest manner possible. To follow up on that, Kevin, I think it's something where the workers out there, whether you're a foreman, whether you're a laborer, a pipe layer, or an adjacent employee that winds up in one of the excavation or trenches, you know, the first thing to start at is that you're not alone. There should be some resources available to you. And, you know, if your organization talks to you regularly about this, that if you have questions, get with a competent person, speak to the competent person, talk about what the plan is that the competent person has reviewed in conjunction with management. If you're not hearing a lot about the competent person and you're seeing a lot of trenches that don't have boxes, don't have speed shores, don't have, they're not even benched, um, that that's probably a big red flag that, Everybody who's on these sites should be aware of when there's trenching and excavation, you should be seeing both of those. And they should be talked about not occasionally, not the start of an operation, but continuously throughout the operation and multiple times daily. So it's definitely something everybody should be aware of that that is a uh, that's a frequent conversation during the operation and should be. And if you're not hearing that, it's probably time to uh, engage management and see what's going on there. And while it sounds like, based on what you've shared, that the regulations aren't extremely complex, but yet 
accidents are happening. And as you shared, they happen so quickly. Can you, Philip and Perry, based on all the experience you have with this, share some other red flag or warning signs that, so maybe you don't know as a worker, the ins and the outs of the regulations and what the text says, but I'm sure there are some things that could alert you to potential dangers. Right. What are some of those things that people need to keep an eye out for to protect themselves? Right, Leah. There are some common parts that the the competent person and the supervisor on site, you know, as we go through and, and you're conducting these operations and talking about not only what the scope of work is, and, but what type of protection is appropriate. You need to have things being talked about continuously before you've ever stuck a bucket in the ground or before, especially before you've put a person down there. Really talking about soil classification. You can't understand what type of protections are necessary to hold back the earth until you know what type of earth you're trying to hold back. So really understanding soil classification, understanding how OSHA views that. And too often, I think a lot of contractors, especially smaller contractors, they view soil for classification as a, as a practice to determine what can we get away with? What's the least we have to do? And, and I would encourage everybody to look at soil classification as a beginning of a guide to what's the most I can do to protect my people. You know, it's not about what's the least you can do. It's about what's the best practice to protect these guys and do the most I can do. Being cognizant of things that even after your soil is classified, that, you know, it gets classified by a number of different grades and a number of different reasons, whether things have vibration near the edge of them, whether you're talking about equipment being too close to these excavations, and that's an operations platform of where you're running trucks and equipment, where are you staging materials that may need to go back into the uh, trench or excavation, that weight, it pushes laterally as well as vertically. And so a lot of people don't think of that. The condition of the soil can change based on how wet it is. And whether you're talking about you've got a lot of rain on top, or lack thereof to create fissures by dry soil, wet soil. And wet soil on top is a concern. Water at the bottom of a trench is a, is a massive concern that too often I think that, you know, we'll have a trench box in place and you'll get some rain or you'll be experiencing some groundwater. And you'll think that you have that false sense of security that everything's fine, even though there may be six inches of water in the bottom of the trench. I mean, that soil now underneath possibly has changed classification types or more likely has just become completely unstable and may need, you know, reevaluation for what type of protection you're having. So there's a number of things that start with those best practices. Um, you know, one other thing I think in metro areas where a lot of us do work, a lot of people are trying to look at the concept of soil classification of, well, it's all native ground. And I'm trying to think of native ground, you know, as far as rock A, B or C classifications. I would uh, challenge anybody, especially in even a suburban size area in 2023 to find soil where there is houses, roads, um, existing utilities, even if you're cutting across a field that's previously been farmed. Um, that soil has been previously touched. It's not in its natural state. And even something as simple as running a tiller through it at some point to farm it has disturbed that existing soil and made it where now it's not what you think it is. So having a group of management people, having a competent person in conjunction with the foreman, but really just getting together to understand what is the appropriate soil classification and what do we need to do to protect it and make sure everybody's not just trying to get the minimum done. 
And then to add to that, I appreciate everything you brought up there, Philip. Those are all really good, you know, red flags and, and some warning signs to look for. One thing that we've seen, at least through the task force and some of the, the trends that we've noticed, is that a lot of these trench collapses are occurring when there's these sanitary sewer services going into a house. And there are a lot of times uh, smaller contractor excavating vertically without any protective system. But there's a lot of times they're doing these, these sewer repairs where the, the sewer service itself is damaged. And when the sewer service is damaged, the bottom of that excavation is filled with saturated material. And and like you talked about, Philip, the, the saturated soils at the base of the excavation uh, can cause very big issues with the stability of the soils and turns it to mud. And in this case, you're dealing with a, a very dangerous situation where you've got the wet soils, then no protective system, and, and that's when that collapse occurs. Uh, really making sure to communicate to everybody on site that those types of situations are very dangerous. And, and it goes back to the quality of the original installation. And if the quality was, was performed properly, you're not going to have those dangerous situations come up the second time you have to excavate that, that particular excavation. Right. And, and that's something that I think as employees and even supervisors, you need to realize that the things that help classify soil are not static. It's a dynamic environment on the construction site. Moisture can change, temperatures change, vibrations change, stockpiles of material and weight changes continuously. And this concept that, oh, I may have to stop and then remedy these and go back on is one thing. But the concept everybody needs to think about is if your soil classification has changed or even just the general environment has changed, the current protection system you've designed and engineered and put in place may no longer be viable. There are times you have to stop and you may have to rip that trench box out and reevaluate what you're doing and, and do different types of protection mechanisms. Just because that was a good plan at one point doesn't mean it's a good plan to the end. And I think too often a lot of things in our industry and everybody wants to have a plug and play mentality of I've thought of it once, I've checked the box, I've put it in place, let's go, without thinking of the dynamic environment on the construction site that it may change and understanding that it's a normal course of construction operation that you may have to reevaluate the situation in the environment and go on a different method, not only to complete the work, but to protect your people. That's not something you should be avoiding. It's something that you should be expecting and planning for. No, I think all great information. And we've talked a lot about the hazards associated with it, how to plan properly for trenching and excavation operations and identifying the risks involved. And one of the things I think is apparent is that this is something that is going to require a concerted effort, a united front from the construction industry. And, you know, for one, AGC of America, after expressing support for the July 2022 NEP or enhanced oversight, you know, we were invited to participate in a national alliance with OSHA to assist with raising awareness, identifying what resources would be useful for contractors of all sizes. And so understanding that this is something that all stakeholders within the industry needs to address because, Philip, you said it up front, there's very few construction projects that doesn't involve any type of trenching or excavation 
excavation activities or operations. So we understand that. We understand the need to work together as an industry to continue reversing the trend. So I'd like to hear from both of you. You know, I spoke about AGC's participation in the National Alliance, but if you could further expand, Perry, on task force that was established in the Denver market, but also things that you've done to engage with your peers, you know, how you've been able to work with other stakeholders, you know, in this effort. Yeah. So the, uh, the Church and Excavation Safety Task Force, we, uh, Go by test is the name there. Again, starting that four years ago in 2019, it's been a a great group of folks that have been volunteers. Uh, This is not a a money grab or anything like that. All it is is a group of volunteers working together to help prevent excavation uh, injuries and fatalities. So it's an awareness campaign, and, and we've really pushed this from the Denver market initially. And, you know, we met right away, right after an AGC meeting, got a group of folks together and started trying to come up with ideas. You know, how can we prevent these incidents from occurring? And so one of the first things we did is started a website. You know, we came up with the the concept of think inside the box, which most people understand that think outside the box coming up with new ideas. But we thought this works. If we use a trench box, it works. And it's it's an idea that, that we don't have to actually think of new ideas. We can think of the same idea that's been working year over year and constantly been successful in preventing trench fatality. So think inside the box. We came up right away with the website, thinkinsidethebox.info. Lots of resources on the website, lots of things that we're able to share with as many people as possible. We've got lots of volunteers that are they're helping with this, this whole task force, trying to prevent you know, the next uh, fatality from occurring. No, I think that's a great initiative and uh, the fact that you're trying to spread information as far and wide as you can and definitely free is always, you know, helpful. Philip, you've talked about how you can work with your service providers, equipment providers to help advance the knowledge on the job sites as well as serve as a second or third set of eyes. That's right, Kevin. You know, everybody looks at this type of safety initiative, whatever it may be, and the risk we're presenting to employees, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Nothing we're trying to tackle here is proprietary. We're trying to protect the industry as a whole, and that's everybody's best interest. So I would encourage everybody as supervisors, competent persons, planners, engineers, and employees, don't ever feel like you're on an island. There are so many entities out there ready to help you and and absolutely encouraged and thrilled to help you, you would be surprised. So whether it starts initially with uh, management in your own company, maybe you've got a plan, but you're really concerned about the plan, escalate that up and talk to everybody in the in the company about what the plan is and previous experiences, previous projects, what they've done. You can certainly reach out to peers. I guarantee you at this point, you know, as I've grown to know Perry and, and the test initiative, which is phenomenal since I've uh, become familiar with it and utilizing it, Perry's a resource for me now. I can be a resource for Perry. And we both know of other contractors that while we are competitors, at the end of the day, we're all trying to save our people. So if I can learn something for Perry or teach something to Perry that helps keep his people alive, I'm absolutely going to do that. And I would generally think most contractors are going to be in that vein. Reaching out to your vendors and providers, I guarantee you if you're renting or buying a protection system, a trench box, a dewatering device, anything that has to do. And oftentimes the pipe vendors, if you're doing underground utilities, 
the guys who are making the pipe or making the precast and manholes or whatever the appurtenances are, they've designed this stuff to be constructed while you're doing a trench and while it's being protected. So they have resources as well. And then obviously there's a ton of resources with AGC, with NUCA. The amount of resources out there is staggering. If you have a complex situation that may require an engineer's long-term involvement, that may be one thing. But I guarantee you, if you've put something in the ground and you're a little unsure about it, most of the people I just mentioned, you can call and they'll come out, give you an hour's worth of their time, a second set of eyes at no cost. And they're happy to do so because they understand that this initiative goes industry-wide and, and everybody's interested in making sure we're doing it correctly for the people and for our industry and for these companies. And I would add to that, Philip, you brought up some really good points, utilizing those vendors, utilizing those companies. They want your business. So of course, they're going to reach out and help you. They're going to be able to provide flyers and handouts and things that are great training resources for your people. And they'll, a lot of them will hand those out for free because it is some marketing for them, but it's also training resources for your people. You know, they'll come out and do toolbox talks just to your crews and just do some, some training even specific to that project. Uh, really good to utilize those vendors, even utilize OSHA. They have some folks that can come out, the group that it's not there to, to hold you accountable for anything. Um, they're there to actually provide training. There's a whole training division of OSHA. It's, it's really important to utilize those resources. And, and I would follow that up with one thing that um, something I encourage everybody and everything I do, you cannot over-inform your people. Um, provide everybody with as much training, literature, exposure to this information as possible. Even if you have guys on site that may not be associated with the trench and excavation, they're around it, they're adjacent to it, they're paying attention to it, whether you may know it or not. I would rather take a thousand of those brochures and hand them out to every employee I see. And if one guy keeps it in his pocket and pulls it out because something looks funny and he's able to point out something we can remedy, that's the best effort and the best time and I've spent all year long. So I encourage everybody to do that. And, the, and just remember for those regionally across the country, I guarantee your vendor has them in multiple languages. They're available in English, Spanish, whatever else you may be. You know, one thing we often hear that no two construction projects or processes are the same. And what listeners might find interesting is, uh, you know, any discussion on projects where you've been presented with unique challenges and how you've been able to address them so that the work can continue and be performed and completed in the safest manner possible. There's definitely unique challenges in everything we do. Every project has its challenges. When we're we're digging in multiple soil types, you know, maybe a great soil that's that's on the top, and maybe the soil underneath it is not so great. So you have to try to come up with a solution that will work for that. You have to sometimes get those those you know resources involved, and you might have to have something specifically engineered for that particular situation. You know, especially when you're working right next to traffic or you've got groundwater concerns. Those types of situations come up every now and then where you have to reach out to those resources. You have to be able to get those guys involved and be willing to stop. That's one thing that, that we forget in this industry, the importance of stopping, getting help. We really encourage, hey, let's take a time out. Let's make a few phone calls and let's see what we need to do here. Because when things change, they can change for the worse and somebody could get really hurt. Kind of a unique project I was involved with about eight, nine years ago, we were doing a large interstate project here in North Texas. 
And we had a storm drain, large size box culvert to put across the highway in multiple phases. There's not always A or B is your answer. You know, too often people look at this and go, well, do I got to shore it or can I get away with benching it? And it may be a combination of the pair. You know, when we were looking at putting some of these large boxes, uh, sometimes they were at depths of 55 feet going across this interstate buildup across there that was existing. We had not only the concern for how large the box was, how deep it was going, but also just the sheer volume of earthwork we had to move and the real estate we had. And we had to keep a crawler crane and a large size excavator next to the hole to be able to facilitate the installation. So we wound up engaging an engineer and it took a combination of concrete, shotcrete shoring. We used some piling at certain points on the phase line. We had a massive trench box that was bigger than anything I owned, so we had to rent it. And then we had to create space on each side of it to keep the equipment back and protected. And then, you know, you obviously can't make a trench box 50 feet wide, so we wound up having to bench it. And so we had this wild combination at I don't remember, it's five or six of these crossings that had four mechanisms, whether it had a more permanent solution like piling and shotcrete, whether it had a trench box that I had to get out of the box that I didn't own but had to rent. And then to still say, yes, I can still bench some of this access in here and, and save some, you know, save some money and make it a little bit more accessible for everybody. It's not a one or a zero there. Sometimes it takes multiple outside the box things to engage help on to understand because too often you can't see the forest for the trees and somebody can have a little bit of a different perspective. We wanted to make sure that we wrap up this episode with a call to action. It's really been encouraging to hear all of you talk about how much industry collaboration is going on, the training, the education resources, the free information. And I think bottom line, what I heard you say is don't be afraid to ask for help. Reach out to your suppliers, reach out to your service providers, reach out to your risk partners, reach out to your peers. We are going to put a lot of links in the show notes so people can just click and have training videos, toolbox talks, links to other pages where you can get a lot of information. So there's no shortage of resources. And I hope that you all will check out what we put in the show notes and we'll click on those links. In closing that call to action message, what else would each of you like to add to really make sure that people who are leaving this episode are kind of walking away with with some next steps? Perry, let's start with you. Yeah. And again, I'll just reiterate the importance of reaching out to uh, to the resources, right? Each one of the markets that, that we're in, in construction, there's groups of people that you can reach out to, safety managers for other companies. There's those organizations, AGC, NUCA, and, and those other organizations that are that are really fantastic in, in the resources that are available. And I'll also leave with this, think inside the box.info, scroll about halfway down in that page and there is a bunch of links with all those resources. We tried to make that essentially a one-stop shop for anything trenching and excavation safety related. And if we're missing something on there, we'll add it. We're continually improving that website and making it something that's a great resource for as many people as possible. Training resources, there's companies that are willing to provide training. So we've put all those links to those companies in there as well. Feel free to utilize that. Scroll all the way to the bottom of the page and you'll see the Think Inside the Box logo. Use that logo. We've printed stickers that we put on our hard hats. A little two-inch sticker is a great way to be able to provide some quick information to people. I think inside the box, it's a message that is universal and, and we want to try to share that as, with as many people as we can. 
Thanks, Perry. Philip? Yeah, probably the last thing I would want to point out, two messages. You know, one, as I said, toward the management planners, you know, make sure you're looking at this information and there's a wealth of information provided out here. You know, look at it as a baseline to start from and build on a better plan for your people and, and your project. I would also probably encourage the workers listening. At the end of the day, too often, I'm not in the hole every day. I'm not in the trench every day, but you guys are. So make sure you're protecting yourself. Talk to your supervisors. Talk about things like, what is the protection? What type of soils are we using here? Who's the competent person? What's our plan? What's our plan if something goes wrong? And talk about that on a daily basis. It doesn't matter if you're a foreman, if you're a pipe layer, an operator, if you're a laborer, you still are exposed and it's still part of what the industry and your company owes you is to protect you that. And you have a right to know that. And if you're not getting the answers, I would encourage you to escalate that at your company to management and make sure you're protecting yourself by any method, whether it's peer pressure or whether it's overconfidence. Don't let yourself be pressured to be put in a space where you're exposing yourself to a risk that you don't need to be. And especially something as preventable as this, because there's so much equipment, so much engineering, so many resources there to protect you. There's no excuse for this anymore. Kevin and, and Perry and Lee have all hit it right. This number should be zero. And it has every opportunity to be zero. There's not one space here that is like, well, we had to do this and had to put them at that exposure. I've in almost 30 years, I've yet to see a trench that absolutely put somebody at risk. And that was the only option never seen it. So don't let anybody convince you that you have to do this. There is always a better way. Kevin? Not much to add to what either Perry or Philip said, kind of reiterating what uh, Philip said up front, you know, safety is not proprietary. And if you're facing a challenge, there are others that have faced, you know, the same or similar challenge. So reach out and seek, you know, the assistance of your safety and health peers or the service providers, even your insurers, your local chapters. I mean, there's a wealth of resources and contacts out there that could help you. So I think that's the best thing folks can do. Absolutely. Great, great closing messages. Well, Perry, Philip, and Kevin, I can't thank you enough. This has been a really great episode. I, I appreciate you helping to um, clarify and raise awareness about the risks um, and all the great information that you shared where places where people can go to get more resources and information. Thank you all for your leadership. And thanks for talking about this with ConstructorCast. Thank you, Leah. So to everyone out there, we appreciate you listening. This has been the Constructor Cast. Please subscribe to Constructor Cast from your podcast app or stream all available episodes right from your computer at www.agc.org slash constructorcast. And if you found this episode to be valuable, leave us a rating and a review because it helps other people discover the show. 